Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Mark's gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 38 through 49. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a deed of the power in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives a cup of cold water to drink because of you, bear the name of Christ, will by no means lose the reward. And if any one of you puts a stumbling block before any one of the little ones who believe in me, it would be better if you had a great millstone hung around your neck and you were thrown into the heart of the sea. And if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Money and gracious God, we gather to hear your word read and proclaimed, and I humbly ask that you speak so clearly to our hearts that they would be transformed by the power of your words and your spirit so that we would leave this place not as hearers of your word, but more importantly, as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So every once in a while in our staff meetings, we sort of send around, we tell jokes, we tell inane facts and figures. And one day, Kate postulated this idea that there is nothing on this earth, that there is nothing that can't be made better with one of three things. Cheese, chocolate, or glitter. Now, I wanted to argue with her about this, but I started thinking, like, before you argue... Practice what you preach, think about it a little bit. So I started thinking, I thought, well, okay, let's see cheese. So trust me on this. Take like the vegetable that you don't like. Think about your least favorite vegetable. If you cover it with enough melted cheese, it disappears. And it's goodness wrapped in lots of cheese. Or think about things like ice cream. I mean, ice cream is good. I mean, we've heard Meg talk about how much she loves ice cream. And I asked her this morning, I said, so Meg, ice cream, great, right? She goes, oh man, ice cream is the best. I said, ice cream with chocolate. She goes, better. There we go. 
mean, but take anything else you want to. You can cover with chocolate and it's better. So then I got to think about glitter. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with glitter because glitter is one of those things that just kind of, once you open a glitter bottle, it's all over the house in 20 seconds or less. But I can think about this, like Christmas cookies. Like if you make sugar cookies and you cover them with sprinkles, which is nothing more than edible glitter when you get down to it, so much better, right? Or if you just want to stop with Christmas ornaments, you're making those dough ornaments that you're going to hang on the tree with the kids, they're great, but you put a little glue on it and add some glitter and they pop. By the way, just if you're counting, it's three months till Christmas. Just keep that in your mind. But those three things, chocolate, cheese, and glitter make life better. And I got thinking about this, oh man, that is so true. But I think we might be missing one more ingredient. Salt. Now bear with me on this. I mean, salt gets a bad rap because sometimes too much salt, like too much of anything, is not good for you. But salt really makes food taste better. If you don't believe me, Google that. Does salt really make food taste better? Surely you'll find a thousand articles on it. But one of them you might find is one that comes out of fine cooking in which a woman writes an article and it's entitled, Salt Makes Everything Taste Better probably will be the first thing you find on on your Google search. But what she writes is that salt tastes good. Salt tastes good because there, and therefore everything else does, because it's really a matter of biology. Our bodies need salt to function. They need that sodium chloride to function. So it stands to reason as we taste food with salt in it, it helps our bodies do what our bodies do best. But salt makes everything good. That chemical reaction of the sodium and the chloride, it helps our tongues, it helps our bodies intensify the agreeable tastes and put less emphasis on the ones that we're not so hot about. But also salt is one of these things that intensifies sweetness and makes bitterness fade to the corner. I mean, think about this with me. I love watermelon. And I really like a good watermelon. And so I love when watermelon season is really in and they're nice and sweet. But I found if you sprinkle just a little salt on the watermelon, it's even sweeter because that salt intensifies that sweet flavor, that sweet taste. And then what we know, if we put a little bit of salt on food as we cook it, broil it, grill it, whatever, it helps it retain its moisture. So what happens in there is there's this chemical reaction where the salt breaks down the protein bands and allows the meat to soak up and retain whatever moisture is in it so that it doesn't dry out. So what Kim Asibi postulates in her article is that salt just makes food that much better. And that might be why when Jesus was teaching the people, you know, Jesus used the parables and used everyday's examples that people could relate to. That may be why when he got to this section in today's passage, He wanted to make sure to help people see the idea by talking about salt, using it and using our practice of faith in terms of salt and saltiness in a positive sense. See, in today's pericope, in today's lesson, there are really three ways that Jesus is teaching about our practice of faith and how we live our daily lives and how that impacts the world around us. I mean, the first part of it, John, he's addressing a controversy that John brings up. John wants to go, hey, Jesus, look, there was this guy over here. He's not part of our club. He's not part of the disciples. He doesn't have a franchise right. 
and he's casting out demons in your name. We need to make him stop. And the reality is, we don't. What he says is that all the churches, all the followers, that we do things by faith in Jesus' name and we are called to do that. And so Jesus says, by intent is what is important. What was that man's intent? Was that man's intent to help make someone better? Then let him do it because those who are not against us are for us. We'll come back to that point in a few minutes. The second part of the lesson, he's talking about this this idea of how we lead people astray, the intentionality of our witness and our practice of faith. Just like what we know that words matter, our actions matter just as much. He challenges us to think about our witness, how we influence the world, how we cast light or the effect of the light that we cast on the gospel message of God's love and grace. That's where he gets to that whole point about, you know, lopping off of hands and arms or gouging out of eyes. Do the things that matter most. Do the things that are right. And then finally he gets this part, this third part about salt, where he says salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. What he's really getting at in all of this is for us to be very intentional about our discipleship, very intentional about how we follow the one who loves us most. And so when we begin to think about this, our daily practice of following Christ, our Redeemer, if we follow Christ the way we're called to, then we have the most impact upon the world that we can ever have, the most positive impact. So let's look at this passage. Let's look at this idea of this franchise piece. I mean, think about what's happening in the church. Several years ago, when I was doing youth ministry, much like what Tammy does with our youth program, when we're in confirmation class, we would take our youth to see different worshiping traditions that influenced our faith. We would go to the synagogue to understand our Jewish heritage, how that translated from the days of Jesus's days all the way up to how we worship today. But we also go to visit the Roman Catholic Church to see how that early church experience influenced who we were as well. Now, there's a Catholic church right there in Thomasville. Many times that's just the one that we would go to, but we knew that there was one just up the road in High Point. And so one year I was having trouble connecting with a Catholic priest. He wasn't returning my calls. Felt like that we should always call ahead of time because it was a very small parish. And if we came with our confirmation class, we would triple worship attendance one Saturday evening. I didn't want to throw him off his game. So when he didn't return call, didn't return call, I called the church up in High Point and explained our predicament. He said, we just opened a brand new sanctuary. It's going to be the weekend that we have our confirmation retreat. So many of our youth will be there. Y'all come. It'll be a lot of fun. We would love to have you. So we were excited about this. We go on, we go up to worship. We, we pull in, we are ushered to the first four pews because I think they thought we needed extra religion. Um, we were content to sit in the back, but that was not to be. And so the priest gets up and he's celebrating their confirmation week and says, and we have some guests. Our friends from the Methodist Church in Thomasville have come to see what a real church is like. <laughs> now, what he was meaning was what a real Catholic church was like as opposed to a little parish in Thomasville. But in that moment, well, as soon as he said those words, he looked over at me 
And I'm about to die laughing because I realized that was not what he was thinking he was saying. He looked at me and goes, I just set the ecumenical movement back about 400 years, didn't I? I said, absolutely. All the way back to the Reformation. But really, we laugh about that. And there was a lot of conversation, but the reality is, yes, the Christian faith has been fractured and divided ever since the beginning with, with different understandings of nuances of doctrine. But instead of quibbling about whose doctrine, whose theology, whose understanding of this or that of the faith is the most correct and is the right way, Jesus is telling us, look, there is enough work right out in front of all of you. Just do the work. We can figure the math out later. Just do the work. Quit quibbling over doctrine and theology. In other words, have unity in the things that matter most and have grace and charity with the things that aren't essential. Tackle the work in front of you. We'll work out the other pieces as we grow closer together in ministry and service. So imagine the transformation that will happen in our world if we would quit worrying about what is right, what is wrong in terms of different nuances of the doctrine of this or the doctrine of that. Instead, we lived a righteous life, the one that God calls us to, the one in which we meet God's people right where they are and we help them. We lift them up, we befriend them, we build relationships that are built on love and grace instead of judgment and moral theological superiority. I mean, imagine what would happen. I mean, would God not be pleased? Would the world not be helped? Would people not be lifted up? Because that's what God says when those who are not against us are for us. And I might even say, he might have said parenthetically to the church of the 21st century, and with us. Those who are not against us are for us and with us. Thanks be to God. See, that's what we need to hold on to. Is that idea? But as we hold on to it, we also need to think about how we live that witness. Not just that we decide to realize that it's okay that we have different denominations, it's okay that there are different understandings of theological doctrines, but how do we live our witness in the world around us? Every once in a while I'll come across a great quote and I like it and I'll write it down on an index card and I stick it in a stack and then I'll shuffle those cards once a week. I'll just flip the card from last week to the back and there's a new card just to keep my mind thinking. So the card that cycled up just a few weeks ago was this card, stop expecting non-Christians to follow the ways of Christ if you Christians don't. Now think about that with me. Stop expecting non-Christians to follow the ways of Christ if Christians don't. I mean, this is really the mathematical proof of our faith. You remember those math proofs where you had to start with a conjecture and a hypothesis and you would do all the work and get to the end and you would solve for X? This is solving for X. If we want the world to follow Christ, we've got to follow Christ first. Years ago, the, the Mormon church, they had an ad that they put on TV. This was back in the 80s. So some of you will remember this and some of you are like, wait, what were the 80s? But anyway, leave it there. They had this ad, and so this ad shows this boy at the kitchen table one morning, and mom and dad are having an argument in the other room, and you can't hear the text, but you can tell by body language, it's not a good, healthy argument. Later in the day, the mom gets in the car, the boy's in the, in the shotgun seat, and the mom says, 
hey, look, they gave me extra change at the grocery store. They gave me too much. Bonus for us. And she puts it in her wallet. And then at supper that night, whatever mom and dad were fighting about that day had passed. They were at peace. And the dad's talking about, you know, I think I'm going to go fishing on Friday. I'll just call in sick. I mean, nobody will care or notice. Later that night, as the boy's getting ready for bed, the parents look in on him and they could tell that something was bothering him. You know how you can do it? You can sense that there's something wrong in the room, that there's something amiss. And so as they tucked him in, they both sat on the end of the bed, they patted his knee and said, son, you seem worried about something. Tell us what's going on. This is what he said. He goes, you know, you all tell me that we're supposed to love each other, we're supposed to be kind to each other. What was happening at breakfast this morning? Mm. And mom, you know, when you got in the car from the grocery store and you had the extra money, the stuff, they, the money they gave you too much change and you put it in your wallet, isn't that stealing because it's not our money? And dad, when you said you're going to call in work and sick and you're not sick and you're going to go fishing, isn't that lying? And then the ad goes on with some positive message about the church and all that. But it stuck with me because I realized that so often we convince ourselves that what we do doesn't matter because really no one's watching. But that's really not true, is it? People are always watching. People are always listening. They're always wondering what we're doing. And if we claim to be followers of Christ, we've got to act that way. So then when you think about our witness, it's most important. And so when Jesus is talking about not letting and causing others to stumble, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about our witness, passive and active, what we show the world about what it is that we believe and who we claim that we are. So we're going to claim ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to claim ourselves as members of Centenary Church. And let us think about how we talk about each other and about our church when we're gathered with our friends. Because even when we think that everybody in the room shares our opinion, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but we're influencing them. Or how we treat people, even if we think we are right and it's the right way to treat people, are we treating them the best way? How are they seeing that? How are they receiving that gift? Or how we conduct business. I mean, there's good business sense, and then there's good Christian business sense. How do we conduct our business? Or how do we act when we think that no one is looking? Because the reality is, people are always watching us. They're always listening to us, even when they don't think that we are. They're always watching us. The bumper sticker on the back of our car tells a lot about us, but does the way we drive back it up? Does the way we act at the stoplight back it up? See, that intentional witness may be a stumbling block because if someone is thinking that maybe they need to be a Christian and they see Christians not acting the way Christians should, then they say, why join up? Why follow him? Look at how his people act. So Jesus says salt is good. 
Jesus sought a good word. He's essentially telling people is go into the world and live lives of distinction. He's telling us, be full of salt. Go into the world and live lives the way I've taught you to. Live lives that honor God in heaven. Live lives that honor my love for you and for all the world. See, just like salt makes food taste better, Christians living out our discipleship makes the world function and be better. See, the Christian life, when it's grounded in God's love and God's grace, realizing that we have earned none of it, but it has been poured out upon us in spite of us, then that should change the way we live. And just as the human body is created and needs salt to live, so does the world need God's grace and God's love every day in every way. And as followers, you and I, we are bearers of that love. We are bearers of that light. So we must seek it for ourselves, but we must share it with everyone that we meet. See, the love that we practice, the love that we share is the fuel that keeps the world going. The saltiness of Christians makes life taste and be good. The other part about it, disciples, we make life sweeter. We reduce the bitterness of the world. Think about what's happening. Tammy was praying about violence in our schools and gun violence in our community. But this idea about being hearers of the word, or not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. It's about not just taking in what we say here, and oh, that was really great what Glenn said, but it's about going forth and taking what God says to us right here in this book. It's about going forth and taking that and living it each and every day of our lives. Not just a passive witness, but about being our best selves and being active in the world around us. So if you're troubled by gang violence, it's really about our youth and their fears, their hopelessness, how they struggle. And so maybe what we need to do is roll up our sleeves and be involved in tutoring programs that help them see that there is a way out, that education is a pathway forward, or maybe volunteering with the Boys and Girls Club and helping them build a community that really says you matter and relationships matter. Life matters, don't take it for granted. Or it's volunteering in our children and youth ministry right here in the church because our own teenagers, they have their own struggles, anxiety and fear and everything else. And really not just let their parents lead alongside Tammy and Kate and Jeanette and others, but you and us pour ourselves into it so that they know that there is a whole congregation that lives up to that baptismal vow that we took for Jane Whitaker today. That says, we are happy for you, but we got your back. We're going to hold you up every day. We're going to be active in our practice of faith to model it for you. Now, this is just one example, but there's so many other ways that we can be active, bringing hope and love to the world that desperately needs it to reduce that bitterness. Yes, it's going to mean work. Yes, it's going to mean sweat equity and elbow grease, but that's what we're called to do as followers of the risen Christ. And just as salt keeps food from drying out, the active practice faith of a Christian keeps the world from drying up and drying out. 
When he says, be at peace with one another, about being in community, looking at each other and say, you're my brother, you're my sister, and I care about you, and there are problems in the world around us, but we've got the solution right here in this room, right here in our family, right here in humanity, if we'll just take a moment and listen to each other. No one of us has it all figured out. If you think that someone does, ask them. Say, you look like you've got life figured out. Chances are they'll chuckle and say, I haven't got it figured out at all. They may have a few more things figured out than you, and you can learn from them. But guess what? They can learn from you as well. And so I think about all the problems of the world that we face today, whether it's education or immigration or healthcare or taxation, it is all out there. But if we work together, my brothers and sisters, if we work together, we can find the solution that helps all of humanity succeed and win at life. No one of us has the solution. No one of us has the moral high ground or the best intelligence. Instead, the wisdom of crowds, the wisdom of grace, the wisdom of God's people coming together is where we find those solutions. When we walk in the room and decide that we want to be a part of finding a solution, not telling the world that we are right, that's when the solution really begins to be uncovered. That's not politics. Let me be really clear. That's not politics. That's gospel. That's saying those who aren't against us are for us and with us. That's saying don't put a stumbling block out in front of your brother and sister. That's saying have salt in your life and be at peace with one another. Because it's at that peace that we bring out the best in us and we bring out the best in each other and we find the best for our world. So I leave you this thought. If you're like me, you drive around town, you get stuck, I seem to hit every red light. If I'm going from A to B, I always hit the red lights. I like to look at bumper stickers. Bumper stickers tell me a lot about people and one of these days, if you see a fun bumper sticker and you're stopped at a stoplight, this is key, if you're stopped, whether you have somebody in the shotgun seat or you can, if you see a fun bumper sticker you think that has sort of one of those twists that might help us think about our faith, we're going to do a sermon series one of these days called Bumper Sticker Theology. So if you see one of those, take a picture of it, send it to me at the office, I'll add it to the collection, we'll pick the best ones. But lately, for several years, I've been seeing this bumper sticker that says, Salt life. Now, usually it's got fishing rods or it's got marlins or something behind it. And of course, you know, these are people that they like the beach and there's nothing wrong with liking the beach. The beach is a great place. And so when they put the salt life up there, I'm thinking they just want everybody to know that, you know, when I get stuck in traffic, I just want to think about being at the beach and my life is so much better. And I do too. Think about that when I see their bumper sticker. But let's try this this week end of the weeks to come. When you see that salt life, you can think for a moment about the beast, but then think about the day. Think about this passage that we just read, what Jesus taught us about in Mark, about having salt in our lives, about intentionally sharing God's love with everyone around us, with the work that is in front of us, about being a positive witness to our faith, and about bringing out the best in ourselves, each other, and the entire world. And when we live that kind of salt life,
surely the world is transformed and that much closer to the kingdom God envisions for you, for me, and for all of our brothers and sisters around the globe. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.